Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning. So I'm sitting on the hillside, digging my heels in. It's a whole dirt field. My brother and I have just spent hours, hours, scraping this hillside of all the rocks and the, the, the thorns and all the kind of stuff. I take my shovel, two hands, I sit down on it. All right, here we go. I slide down this hillside, down to the creekside bottom, splash into the water. It's a success. It's awesome. Our little mini slide at like 10 years old, we're just like so excited that we just made our own slide. Like it was so cool. Like um, we didn't need anything but a rusty shovel and a dirt hill. Like, and we just had a blast. I remember so many summers hanging out with my brother, uh, doing all sorts of silly and not so great stuff, (laughs) like uh, getting into trouble, getting hurt even along the way, uh, out in God's wilderness, like, uh, you know, nature's playground, right? Um, Our family had a little place that we called the Stump Ranch. Um, It was when my grandfather had bought this place, they had forested it all um, and just left nothing but stumps everywhere. And they, like, my family was very creative and they're like, Stump Ranch, there we go. Um, And, but it became this place that we would go regularly to to play and hang out and be together as a family. Um, And there was this little creek and we would go and we would dam it up with like a bunch of rocks and go play in the water in little pools and um, it just was very f- a fond memory that I have. Um, do you have any of those? You know, memories when you look back and you remember, like, uh, growing up, uh, the good old days, maybe, you know, like, there's just very, very fond memories, like, emotions well up maybe in you, and you're just like, yeah, I remember that. That was so good. I want to go back to that place. I want to go hang out with those same people. I want to go do that thing again. Um, and maybe it's not so much, like, in the past. Maybe it's in the future. Do you guys have dreams? You know, that, that thing that, like, when you think about it, it excites you. You know, it gives you energy. It gives you motivation. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm going to dream about this. And actually, like, the, that Stump Ranch was one of those things that has kind of shifted out of that past thing into the future, um, where now I'm like, I've got my own son. He's eight years old, and we're, like, excited about being able to, like, create those memories for him. Um, and I actually got to do that this uh, last spring. Uh, it was the first time that I got to go back to that place after, like, 10-plus years uh, with my brothers uh, and my dad, and I got to take my son. And here's a picture uh, of that. I think I've got one in there. And we're sitting, we uh, hike up to the top of this hill, and it's just this like pristine, beautiful, like the grasses are tall. And my son is just sitting there, <laughs> like in the middle, like he's like there in the distance, and he's just sitting there, and like there's just breeze just goes through. And we were just like, we just sat there for like an hour, like just enjoying lunch and hanging out. Um, and it was just a very memorable time and, and something that I want to like create more of moving forward. But like, do you guys have those things? You know, like, oh, yeah, 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 I, I dream of, like, being able to do this thing. Like, I can't wait until, like, okay, I'm going to work and, and strive to be able to have this or do this in my life with my family or my career or those kinds of things. And I think there is, there is something that is inside of all of us that craves that, uh, you know, that good feeling, that fulfillment, that, that, that thing um, in the future, or, like, we lean on those things in the past uh, that we remember. Um, and, you know, the American dream is one of those, right? Like, I, I am very thankful for the country that we live in. Um, I, I do see, like, even in my own family, 
that like what I was handed off was better than what my parents got handed off. And the idea that with good work and hard work, like that we can strive to become different um, than our upbringing. And uh, a lot of people come from other countries, like celebrating that and wanting that and the, the opportunity um, for that. And I think that is something that a lot of people strive for, even in the midst of like the, a lot of other things that are in our culture that are challenging and difficult. The, the idea of a dream, right, um, is, is I think in all of us. And um, there was actually somebody that made some commentary about the, uh, the American dream um, that I found really interesting. Um, uh, this person is uh, Alexis de Tocqueville, um, at, or TikTokville, I think is what it's, no, no, it's not TikTok. Like, it, I, I'm still learning to read French. Like, I, I don't read French at all. Like, I'm trying to make, make do with, with this name. But like, um, so Tocqueville uh, basically is this French philosopher and historian. Um, the work that uh, Alexis Tocqueville uh, did is actually the beginnings of what we now know as sociology of looking at a society and like, what do we do to understand why a society came to be the way it is? And in the mid-19th century, um, after actually um, this person got uh, uprooted after Napoleon Bonaparte uh, you know, had a coup, well, not the famous short one, uh, a different Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, basically had a coup, kicked this uh, uh, out, uh, out of France, uh, then started traveling around the world and looking at different societies and writing the, what they viewed of the different things that were going on there. And it was interesting what uh, uh, Alexis says here about the people in America. It says, there is this strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants in the midst of the abundance. The, even in the midst of all of this abundance, they recognize there's this, there's this tension, there's this, uh, this, this thing that is maybe not exactly the dream. Um, and they go on to say, like, um, and describe that, like, a lot of people do live with this sense of things just not living up to that dream. And I think a lot of us, like, there does exist, even in the midst of those dreams and opportunities, kind of riding under the surface of that, is this tension of it not being all of what we hoped it could be. Or as we strive to reach for that goal, right, reach for that future that is better, anxieties start to creep in as we maybe don't live up to that thing or we struggle with that fear of losing that thing that we worked so hard to get. And even for some, it goes beyond sorrow and reaches to despair. I heard somebody describe the difference between despair and sorrow as sorrow is like there's a sadness, a death in the family, and you have the ability to console with somebody else. You can go to other family members and talk and share, and, and you're, you're able to be consoled and, and have something to help deal with that sadness. But despair starts to dip into this thing in which nothing can compare. Nothing is able to fill that void that then is, exists because of what you position you gave that thing that you lost, and it doesn't live up to it. And what they basically describe their, their summation, um, uh, Alexis's summation of the American culture was that it comes from taking something that's incomplete, an incomplete joy of this world and building your entire life on it. And I wonder if you would admit that maybe that some things in your own life have become this, have become this like a source of fear or anxiety, even though it's linked with maybe even something good, something that you're trying to make happen in your life in a good way, but actually it becomes a source of tension or a source of anxiety. Um, and maybe even if you're admitted, like it leads you down the road toward despair. 
because you can't ever live up to or get or gain that thing. Jesus, I think, knew that there existed this tension under the surface of the dreams and the hopes that we would have. And he regularly talked about this. He talked about the struggle that exists inside of our own heart when dealing with the things that we would try to gain in life, the treasures that we would have in life, and money, and, and, and um, things that we would seek after in our lives. Like, there is a danger that it resides under the surface for us all. And that's why in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, this most famous sermon, Jesus actually talks about that very thing, about treasures. And it's a, a phrase that is very familiar to a lot. And he says, maybe you've heard this. This is in uh, chapter 6, verse 19. He says, Don't store up treasures uh, here on earth, where moth eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store yourselves in heaven, your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. He contrasts, like, store up yourselves in uh, things in heaven and on earth, right? There's this, this contrast between these two ways of living life. And he actually goes on to describe it a couple other ways. He uses the example of a light uh, and a lamp in our body and eyes and being able to see to whether that's good and, and also darkness. And he, so he uses light and darkness in the next little um, passage. And then, and then he uses this example of um, a slave language, a master and a slave, um, to try to get at that there is this tension that it resides in life that you cannot serve two masters. It is either going to be one or the other. And one is going to create a lot of tension in your life, and the other is a source of hope, a source of goodness in your life. Um, but it is, I think, in some ways, Jesus diagnosing us. He, he writes all this stuff out and is basically like, hey, you have to be careful in your life to not give yourselves up, not have the treasure of your life, the thing that you're seeking for, something that is going to rot and, be, and get old and, and rust away. Because when you do, it's going to lead you down the path of darkness. And sometimes I think we can like look at that and like go like, okay, well, that's like back there in that culture, that's like years ago, or like, okay, I, I get that, like I'm not a greedy person, like I'm not like a super rich person that's really greedy. Um, but if I'm honest, sometimes the things that are good in my life become this as well. The, the things that I'm striving to do as a dad become a source of my whole life resides and revolves around it. And I, when it doesn't work the way I wanted it to work, I feel like I've failed and I've messed up and like my life is meaningless or I struggle with it. There's this pastor, Tim Keller, who wrote it this way. He was, wrote a book actually trying to bring the idea of idol worship into today, here and now. You know, when I think of idol worship, I think of like pharaohs, like, uh, you know, the, the gods of Egypt or, or Greek, you know, like gods, like, you know, they would build these massive temples and people would come down and bow and go, oh, oh, oh or they bring sacrifices of food and offering and they might even bring a child and sacrifice the child in front of there. And like, you know, I don't see that today. Like, you don't have a temple, like, right around the corner, like, uh, you know, to, to the, you know, uh, Vons, where, like, oh, hey, there's the temple worship. Like, if you need help uh, in, in your finances, just take your firstborn, go over there, and then sacrifice them, and your finances will be taken care of. It's all good, because that's, that, that's where you go and do that. It's like, you don't see that. Like, it's, like, so far removed from today that it's, like, what is idol worship? And um, Keller basically writes this passage that I found convicting and helpful uh, you know, we may not physically kneel before the statue of Aphrodite, he writes, 
But many young women today are driven into depression and eating disorders by obsessive concern over their body image. We may not actually burn incense to Artemis, but when money and career are raised to cosmic proportions, we perform a kind of child sacrifice, neglecting family and community to achieve a higher place in business and gain more wealth and prestige. If I'm honest, like there's moments where I have to admit, like I was striving to do something good, and even in the middle of it, it ended up being something that actually hurt my family more than helped. Even if I'm honest, standing up here on this stage can be a source of that for me. It's good to teach and preach in front of people of God's word, right? Like, I want to say something that is helpful. I want you to like me. <laughs> Like, I, I, hope, I hope you like it and enjoy it. Like, but you know what? For me, like, those things that I work and strive for can be a source of, like, can I live up to it? Can, can, it, can it be all that? Like, okay, I, I, I got to work harder. I got to do the thing because if I don't, then it's all going to fall apart. And, like, I, ah. it's almost as if we deify those things. And that's what I think our heart does. Our hearts deify them because they become the center of our lives, because we think that they can give us significance and security, safety, and fulfillment if we attain to them. But they can't, ultimately. They can't fully. Even being a great dad or a pastor like can't do that. I can't fully be fulfilled only in that. If I make that my, my, my main priority, my main focus and goal, some of those things take a different spot in our own heart. Because the thing that was meant to take first spot in our hearts was God and his kingdom. He, write, he writes that later in verse 33 after this other passage. He says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You see, God knows what we need. He is all-knowing. I, I, he is the provider of all things. He's the creator, right? Like, he knows what we need. He's willing to give it. But he's asking us to make our first priority seeking after his kingdom, seeking after God. And in the middle of our lives and busyness and carpooling and getting to soccer practice and uh, career promotions and, and working hard amidst a tension that, underlie, uh, that is under the surface where any one of those things can actually become our God. That we seek not after God for our fulfillment, but that promotion. In order for my life to feel like it's worth something, I've got to be a good mom. And in order to be a good mom, I've got to hit all of these marks and do all these things. And it's not that we don't strive for those things, but it's what position we place in them in our own heart. How much... Um, how much treasure do we hold up in that thing versus God? Are you accumulating on earth what you cannot keep? Or are you investing in the heaven, in heaven what you cannot lose? There are these things that fall into one of these two categories. You see, I think it is better to have less of what doesn't matter but more of what does matter. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to diagnose, trying to help us understand 
that there is this tension. And, and then he, after he lays out these few different metaphors of uh, treasure in heaven and, and, and earth and uh, of, of light and darkness and, and, and where you allow yourself to go, you, you, you seek those. And uh, uh, what, you know, the slave language of a master and a slave and that you can't have uh, more than one. You know, he, he's trying to get at, like, you can only have one thing that is going to guide your life. And therefore, he then goes and explains, don't be anxious. Don't worry. And, and he gives us some instruction about how to live this life that looks like that. Because he knows that those things are a source of anxiety and worry for all of us. But he's laying out for us a pattern of what that looks like. A pattern of, of how to live our lives in a way that does put those things in the right place so that you're every day. When you leave here and you go into your work on, on Monday or tonight or, or you go and you visit with your family, how you can live that life to its fullest, to enjoy it fully as it was meant to. There is, a, a, in life, there's this, uh, lots of patterns. Uh, have you ever heard of the golden ratio? Um, it's this pattern that shows up in nature all over the place. It's this spiral, like it's a perfect spiral based on a mathematical uh, equation of like one part plus another part divided like on the other side, and you create this like loop, right? And it's a spiral. You see it in um, seashells. You see it in plants, uh, in, in the leaves. Uh, you see it everywhere, and it's the same mathematical ratio, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing. And mathematicians and biologists like call it the golden ratio. It's these things that we see in life, everyday patterns, and, and they basically try to put a name to it to describe what that pattern is so that when we recognize it, we're like, hey, there it is. That's cool. Uh, there's a leader, an entrepreneur, that was studying this and other things in life and organization, business leadership, and he basically was like, you know what? The same thing's true in business and in life. And Simon Sinek wrote this book called Start With Why, where he listed out the golden circle where it was this idea of everybody in business and a sales pitch, a business model, follows along uh, the, some of the same components, why, how, and what. And oftentimes, a, a business will say, well, hey, this is what we are building and how we build it, and so buy our thing, because we want to make money, like, and you, you, you want this thing. Um, they, they start with the what and then say how they build that thing, and then they go to say, all right, here you go, buy it. But the organizations that thrive, those that take off and do incredible in their market, they actually reverse it. They start with why at the in, the in the inner part of the center of that circle is why. Then they talk about how. Then they get to what. They have clearly in their minds why they exist as a company, why they do what they do, and how they go about it, the values, the way in which they, they create what they create. And then they get to the, the what they end up doing. And you see it in organizations, and they, they are, look different. They feel different. Apple is one of those that often, like, they are not just driven around building computers. They have this thing that drives them about creativity and innovation and how they then build something that's beautiful and then end up, like, we also sell computers, so, like, buy one. Like, other organizations, other, like, even, like, you take Martin Luther King Jr. Like, his, you know, I have a dream speech, was dripping with why. Why should we even do anything and, and, and tackle social justice? We were created by a God that loves us, and, and, and he has a dream to see that come about. And, and he lists out how, but like it's driven and connected to a why. 
Well, so the golden circle is this idea of why is, is first. Start with why, to then get to how you go about what you do, to then do it, what you do. And it's a pattern that shows up in life. And the more clearer that you and I have why we do or what we're doing, the more driven and guided and, um, uh, and focused we become. I mean, some of it actually plays into what we're just talking about with your family. Why are you working so hard to get like that extra bonus? Well, so that I can like provide for my family. Why are you doing that? Like, oh, I want to take my family to Disney World. Like, I, I have these things in my mind that are driving me to work harder. It, it, it's, it's a d- dynamic that is in all of us. The question I have for you is, what are you putting in that why? What is at the center of that circle that is your life? What drives you? Is it that Disney World vacation? Is it that promotion? Is that what you have then put at the center of what drives you? Or is it something maybe a little bit better, something that matters more? And I want to encourage you, be careful. And there's an opportunity to lean into a better why. And the pattern that I see that Jesus does, and then Paul and many others do, is they start with God. Their why is God. They, they start with an understanding of who is God, who am I, and what part do I play? What's my purpose in this world linked with and driven out of who God is? There's another part where Jesus uh, is teaching this very same thing about treasures in heaven, and um, Luke records it. It's an, a, another one of the buddies and disciples that followed along Jesus, and it's almost the exact same teaching. Um, I, I, I think because Jesus taught this thing regularly, and he tried it with different layers and different metaphors and different things because he realized that people needed to hear it regularly in order for it to sink in. And in Luke chapter 12, we see in verse 33, I mean, see if this sounds familiar, right? Um, sell your possessions and give to those who in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. There your desires of your heart will also be. He's saying the same basic message, teaching, right? About when we, where we put our treasure matters. Where the center of our heart matters. What I find interesting is the verse that actually was right before that in verse 32. He says this in verse 32. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give to you the kingdom. So don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Who's this saying about who God is? Little flock. Who is God? He's a shepherd. He's a shepherd over sheep. Now, sheep are dumb. <laughs> like, they will just eat everything right in front of them. And if you don't move them, they will just die. Like they won't, like you need to like move them along to another green pastures along the way. Like sheep need a shepherd to guide them to where they need to go um, or like to protect them from the wolves all around. Like uh, the shepherd helps provide and protect the sheep. God is our shepherd, but also not only that, who is he? For it gives your father great happiness. He is a father. 
God is a loving, caring father that wants to, wants to see his children happy. He wants to see us enjoy life. Multiple times in places that you see Jesus talking about treasure, right along in there, in those passages, speak about God knows what you need. God wants you to enjoy it. God like, wants to see your happiness. Like You see it right in that same passage. He's not saying that you shouldn't care for things or have things. We should. But what place are we putting in that? Well, our Father knows what we need, wants to see us happy. And I think it starts with us understanding who God really is. He is shepherd and he is father, as well as what? What has he given us? To give you the kingdom. He is the king. He's got authority and power over this world. He, he allows others to have power or not. He is the kingdom, and he's basically saying to his children, to his sheep, I'm going to give you the kingdom. It's going to be yours to, to make what you want of it, to, to create a life that is filled with passion and purpose, filled with happiness and things. But what does he ask for us? What's the flow of how we should order those things in our lives? First, about who God is and making his kingdom first. Out of that flows how we then live our lives. And he wants us to live lives of generosity, of being rich toward others, of caring for others. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes a little description of, um, I think, how we are to live our lives uh, in connection with these treasures. Um, in 1 Timothy, Paul writes this, teach those who are rich in this world. Wait, hold on, I have to pause. Um, how many of you feel like you're not rich at all? <laughs> Like, I know, like, I, for a long time, like, I'm like, I am not rich, like, at all. Um, how many of you drove here today, like, in a car that, like, yeah? How many of you have something in your pocket that you could probably order Starbucks and, like, have it delivered here in just a little bit, right? <laughs> Did you know that you're probably in, like, the top 1% to 5% of richest people in this world? I mean, sometimes you know it, but you don't realize it or think it because you feel it. Like, you don't, or you don't feel rich. But sometimes perspective does shift things and help. Like, I, I think this is applying to me. I, I don't overly feel like I'm rich, but if I really think about it, I have been blessed with a lot in my life and been able to do things that, yeah, a lot of people haven't. So I'm instructed as rich to not be proud and to not to put trust in their money which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. You see, it's right there, right? He knows what we need. Like, but, but our trust should not be in the things and the things that we build up for ourselves and, and care for ourselves that build up on this earth because those things are not reliable. They, like a stock market is going to go up and down and the stuff will get old and uh, dusty. And like, well, okay, so like we love swimming in a pool and it's hot, right? So we uh, decided to get a pool. Um, and like, uh, you know, when we first got married, we, we got one and we tried it out and it was a mess. 
It was a horrible mess because the thing turned green like that. Uh, and then there are bugs like everywhere. Like, I'm just like, what just happened to this pool? Like, I thought I knew what I was doing. Like, I researched it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get the chemicals. I'm going to do the thing. And like, when we were, I don't know if maybe we were just newly married and didn't know what we were doing really. Or like, I don't know. Like, my, my mind and energy was on other, other things. So we ended up throwing it away really, really quick. Um, and, but like a year and a half ago, we tried it again. We're like, okay, Southern California, we're living here. It's warm. It's in the middle of COVID. COVID, we got to have something to play in our backyard. We just have like pavers everywhere and that's it. And we're like, okay, well, we got a spot where we can put one of those like balloon ones where you just blow up the top rim and then like you just fill it up. We're like, it's easy. It, we don't have to have the ground leveled at all because we do just fill it up enough. We're like, okay, let's try this out. So we do, we fill it up and it works for like months. I'm like, I got this down. This is good. Like, okay, I've got the chemical thing down. Like we can just scrub it every once in a while. It's good. Um, but then like the thing that I owned turned out to, I feel like, own me. Like, like I, I was not now the master. Like it became the master because I had to do all these things to serve it. Like, because if I didn't, it then like would turn green and start like changing. And so I've realized that very quick. I'm like, okay, I've got to make sure I'm on top of those chemicals. I got to make sure it's covered because there's all these palm trees like around the side. And we have these like other like um, evergreens that like have all these like needles that fall into my yard. And like, they're not even mine, but they're over there. And like, but I have to take care of them, but they're theirs. Like, okay. But like, so I go to work doing this and I take care of it for months. It's awesome. Until I get the call from my wife. And she's like, honey, our patio furniture is flooding across our backyard to the other side. You got to get here quick. I'm like, what? Like there was a hole this big on the side of this thing. And it emptied the water like that. I like our patio furniture, not like little things, like big things ended up flooding across our yard. By the time I get there, like the the water has kind of dissipated, but there actually still is like a good amount of water in our backyard because it just can't drain out. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Now I have all this work to do, like to clean this up and do this whole thing. And like, I found out like the things that we have do kind of become masters of us. We have to do things to serve them and make them happen or else we pay the consequences. There's a cost associated with that, right? And then I go and I do the phone call and it's under warranty, so it's a great, so I'm like, okay, cool, let's, let's do that. We get it, we have to, it's on back order, like, and we wait and we finally get another one and then like a month into it, like actually getting up the new one, we're like, it has holes in it. We're like, oh, oh, but... These things will fade away. How much emotion am I going to allow this thing to have in my life? How much priority am I going to give this thing? And if I'm not careful, it can take over my life. And God doesn't want that for me. He doesn't want that for you. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to have a fulfilled life. He wants you to have security and safety and provision for all of you because if you say yes to him, you're his child. He made you in his image, and I think he likes his own image. (laughs) I think he likes himself because he's fully love. But I think sometimes we get out of our own focus who God is and who we are. And we strive and we work for these things that were never meant to be the ruler of our lives, the center of our lives, but they so easily do. Even the good things. And anxiety and fear start to creep in because we we don't want to lose it. We don't want to let go of it. 
We want it to live up to a certain thing, but maybe if it doesn't, what do we do? And maybe despair creeps in. These other things that start to really tear you down. Be reminded of who God is. And in response to that God, live a life that is generous and rich toward others. We have this young adults group that meets on Thursdays, and we just started a new study in Colossians, and it's been awesome (laughs) these last couple weeks. Every Thursday at 7 o'clock, and if you're in your 20s or 30s-ish, come hang out with us on Thursday night. It's not just for young, like out of high school, it's for you. If you feel like you're young, come. Honestly, yeah. (laughs) But in it, we're going through Colossians, and in the book of Colossians, this is what it says. Paul basically takes a moment and he writes a hymn. He writes a little poem, song, at the very beginning of Colossians, where he basically unleashes these thoughts about who God is. He says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rules, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross." See, God created us. He knows us. He knows what we need. He is our loving father and shepherd and king and wants to bless you and lavish it, lavishly so. And there's this mental picture that I have now just that came up this last week in our discussion of young adults about who God is. (laughs) And it stems from my son playing Legos. I have this eight-year-old son, Levi, and, and he loves Legos. We'll get him a set. He's got way too many sets. <laughs> um, and like, he gets a set, and he'll, we'll spend hours you know, building this X-Wing. You know, he wants the really big Millennium Falcon, but I'm like, no. <laughs> but we, we'll, we'll build this set, and then it gets put on a shelf, and it doesn't stay there. <laughs> it comes down off the shelf, and he's playing with it. But then he's like, you know what? Like, let's, let, let me add this like, thing. And he goes to work like being all creative and, like, making, and making it into something different, completely different. We're like... Oh, we just spent a lot of time making that look like the picture on the box. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and like, he goes to work playing and, uh, and loving, it, loving it. And this, this is my son. He's sitting down and he's got Legos everywhere, everywhere. Like we find them in the couch and in the, like the rug, like for weeks after we've like cleaned up his room, like we like for, for for real, but he's got them everywhere. He's sitting in the middle of all these Legos, playing and loving it to his fullest. Like, and he'll play for hours. And we have to tell him to stop to eat <laughs> because, like, he would just play. And I think that's our God. God is not a creator that makes something and then puts it up on the shelf. He's a God that, well. He's the visible image of the invisible God. We get a picture 
of the kind of God that we have and that is there through Jesus. And he got inside of his own creation. He became flesh and blood to sit in with his creation, to love it and play with it and to help it. And he's active. He's, he's a shepherd that is guiding and protecting his sheep. He's building and, 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 and helping to provide. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah that, that creation, that, that, does, that doesn't have enough Legos. So let me take from here and, 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 you know, and do this little thing differently in this way. Like, because this thing needs that. Or like, oh, you, okay, I'm going to create this thing. And he's in it. He's not just a God that sets it up and is like, I'm over here. I'm, I'm going to let you be you and, 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 and make you do with your life. Now, he will give us the choice to respond and receive his work, to receive him being active in our lives, but he is right there with us. And he asks us to make him the first thing in our lives, in our hearts, that the thing that we treasure above all is him and his kingdom, because that play box of Legos is his. He was the first one to make it. He's there currently, and he will be there after we're gone. And it's up to us to allow ourselves to be connected to the source of all of those Legos. <laughs> but if we decide to take what was ours and hold it with two hands over here, and like, I'm going to build my thing over here. <laughs> my son, like, if he was to do that, he'd look over at all the pile of Legos, and he'd go, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let me jump back in over here, because he loves it, because they're his. There's this passage in Ecclesiastes where the writer writes this. He says, you know, it's better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. I think God knows that if we take both of our hands, that we toil and work, and we, we make everything about that, being a dad, getting that career promotion, getting that house, getting that, that car, those, those stuff, those treasures, if we make everything that we do about that, we're not going to be at peace. There's going to be something inside of us that is not settled, is not fulfilled. And it's better for us to have one hand with peace and tranquility than two with toil. And I think that's because he knows we need stuff. He, we, he knows that we need money and treasures and things to do in this world, and we need, we need cars to get around and food. Like, he will provide for us. But what do we do with that open hand? We're there to come alongside somebody else and say, let me, let me help you out. Let me sit with you. You're, you're down. Let, 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 me, let me lift you up. You need something? Let me take a little bit of mine and then give it to you. God, you are amazing and worthy and praise. Like, it is all you, God. What can we do when we have one hand with peace and tranquility? We're then positioned to be able to be there for others in need. But for some of us, we have allowed ourselves to wrap both hands around things in this world that were never meant to be your first and most in your heart. And it's a work, it's a process to untangle that, to let go of, but it starts now. It starts here with you and God to listen to whatever he is prompting in your heart, to, to then make a step, to say, how, how do you want, what, what dream do you have your life to be? 
And if you place it in his hands, he is faithful and just to bless you and to care for your needs and to give you the kingdom. But don't hold on with both hands. Let's pray. God, you are good and amazing, and I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for how you have worked in our hearts to do what we could not do. God, I be with us as we untangle this mess that sometimes creeps in in our own hearts. Out of understanding a clearer why in our lives that you are at work and it is your kingdom that is going to last, may we then live our lives of, of richness toward others, of generosity toward others, to, to be good stewards of the things that you have given, but through the lens of you and who you are, may we then respond and live. We thank you, God. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless. Thank you.